Welcome, episode 8, Monday, August 27th, 2018. I am your host, James Lumberger of the James Louis Show. Well, a lot has happened. Okay. Um, there's some, there's some true stories I want to actually share with you guys, too. Uh, I got friends in, in Saginaw, Michigan, and East Lansing, Michigan, and some family members that can actually document some of the stuff I've been telling you. So, let's see here. Notes are confusing here. Okay. Oh, okay. Here we go. This is something I want to share with you. Some of you people know this because it's, it's been on my Twitter account. And it's... I think I did a video on it. But the video got corrupted and I had to take it off. Well, check this out. When I was in second grade... Um, I had a assistant teacher from Michigan State University, and uh, she was assigned to work with me. And one day we got to talk, and I think it was like after a month, month and a half, I was going through some difficulties. And anyhow, she started sharing about her family and her brothers, and then she, when she got towards the end of the conversation... She said, well, my brother's actually Clarence William III. He's on the Mod, Mod Squad. I said, oh, yeah, right. So she pulls out the family pictures from her wallet, and she shows me, and I'm like, oh, my God. You're a celebrity. She goes, I'm not, he is. I said, what are you doing here? She goes, well, I wanted to come out here, take classes at Michigan excuse me, at Michigan State University. They got extension programs in my hometown, Saginaw Township, Michigan. And she was going through the teaching program. So I thought that was kind of neat. Um, I also have another unique story. I mean, this is unbelievable. Today's a really good day. I hope you all are having a great day today. It's Monday. And... You know how it is for some people. They, they had a great weekend, and they're dragging, like, oh, i got to go back to work or whatever. Well, that's life. We all have to do that. That's why I'm doing this. <laughs> Keeps me going. Okay. Now, here's another unique thing that happened to me. Oh, that reminds me. Let me share this one first. Uh... Let me make a quick note right here. Um, I have several unique situations. <laughs> yeah, you all aren't going to believe this. Okay, so let's say this. I'll tell you this story first. This is a true story. These are all true stories. They're not made up. They're life events that have actually happened in my lifetime. Plus, when I was growing up in Saginaw Township, a lot of people thought it was Brandon Cruz who played 
Eddie Corbett from the courtship of Eddie's father. The people would come up and ask me for an autograph, and I'd say, it's not me. Or they'd ask for a picture, and they'd say, it's not me. So, you know, half the time, I would say, okay, give me your uh, your autograph uh, board or your autograph book, and that's Simon name. It's James Loonberger. I'd scribble it so they couldn't write it. <laughs> Shame on me. And uh, the other times, <clears throat> I would do pictures. Uh, I hope it doesn't come back on Brandon, because I could really pass for him. Him and I look identical twins. Recently, two days ago, I actually went on Google and I Googled him. Do you know him and I look so close in resemblance to each other <laughs> that when I, when I was growing up, uh, when, when I was in high school, was it high school? No, 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 no. It was in college. I was doing some research on acting back then, too, and some stuff in the entertainment industry. And this came up, the courtship of Eddie's father. So I said, you know what? People used to think I was him. So I saw Brandon Cruz. I, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. So I go to my mom. I said, Mom, is there any chance that I might be adopted? Or maybe I got switched at the hospital. She's like, why? I said, I printed off the picture. Look at this. Him and I are like twins. She's like, oh, my God, you two are. So, you know. <laughs> oh, wow. That's amazing, you know. And you know what? When I moved to Jacksonville, Florida for a while. Excuse me. Gotta yawn. I don't have uh, technicians to edit. So it's like live recordings. So when I was in Jacksonville, Florida, people used to come up to me again and ask for autographs and pictures. And uh, again, a lot of people thought I was Brandon, even though I wasn't. So, Brandon, I hope you're doing good out there, dude. <laughs> I hope someday you and I can meet, because I think that would be cool. And I hear he offers acting classes, so if I can find out where he's at, because I live in the L.A. area now, because that would be cool. I would really love to connect up with him on that. Now, I got that one done. There's another story I want to share with you. Now, one of my best friends, I had what, five, I don't know, wait, six of them or seven, David, I can't remember his last name, but I never knew that he was a Mormon until one day he goes, hey, you want to come to my church? I'm like, okay, this is in Saginaw Township, Michigan. Okay. And it was during the holidays. So I got to the church. And he goes, I'd like you to introduce you to, to my aunt. 
No, I forget her real name. But I go, I was like speechless. Aren't you Alice? I'm the Brady Bunch? She goes, yes, I am. <laughs> I was like dumbfounded. And Dave's like punching me. He's like knocking off. So we talked for a little bit. I asked how it was acting on the Brady Bunch. Excuse me. She said, it's fun, entertaining. She goes, there's a lot of takes and retakes. Because the director or the producer wanted to do stuff from different angles and they wanted to work in different stories. I'm like, holy cow. And after that, <laughs> I couldn't stop sharing that I, that I met her. And then David one day, he goes, I think after about a month here, he goes, he's like, dude, you got to quit doing that. You're embarrassing me. I'm like, okay, I'll stop. So that's a true story. Okay, let's see. What else can I share with you guys? Oh, okay. Now, at this time, that I'm going to start sharing with you, it'd be in East Lansing, Michigan, after we moved there from Saginaw. And I was already going, excuse me? I was already going to uh, East Lansing High School. Um, I don't know how Giovanni and I met again. I think it was through an acquaintance. Oh, I remember. Yes, it was through an acquaintance that I knew someone from East Lansing High School. Uh, Giovanni, he likes to go by the name James, like me. But Giovanni, I do not know how to pronounce your last name, and I'm not even going to try. It's really hard to pronounce. But he's the, he's the director of that... Uh, Installation, that's on Avatar. And we became really good friends <laughs> until we met my next door neighbor, Debbie. Uh, and Debbie and Giovanni hit it off pretty good. Uh, Debbie and I, we had a click. We were trying to get a relationship going, but... Uh, she got drunk one night with Giovanni, and you know the rest is history. I do know that they had several kids, because uh, Debbie got pregnant. Now, Debbie used to have the hots for me, okay? Um, I'll tell you another situation in a moment here. Now, uh, at that time, they were together friends, all three of us used to hang out, we used to smoke a little pot, you know, we drink brew, brewskis, you know, and alcohol, we didn't get too out of control once in a while we would, we just got together and socialized and talked about life events, uh, Giovanni told me that he had been out to New York and he was actually gravitating back towards California. I did not know that California is his home state. I didn't know that he grew up here in California. 
that for the last couple of years I've been trying to get a hold of him that he just won't uh, he won't communicate. I twittered him and then I tweeted openly that uh, hey dude, contact me. I was figuring that some of his friends or fans might know where he's at, but he's incognito. I know that Debbie and Giovanni, uh, I think they got married before they went to California, but Debbie was moving out that way too because her ex-husband lived out that way. So, And Debbie told me that once I got out here, she was hoping I was going to come right away, but my family had other plans. They've been holding me down for years doing all sorts of crap to undermine me. And, uh, I don't even want to go in that direction. That is so negative and so toxic and so dramatized. But Debbie said, after high school, come on out. And uh, I tried for years. Recently, I just said, screw it, I'm coming out here. Oh, well, my family, they're a bunch of control freaks. You know, highly dysfunctional, and I don't want to get into all that. But uh, she she gave me an open invitation to come out there. I never was able to get out there, but now I'm trying to find out where she's at. I don't know what what she's up to. So that takes us into next true story. Let's see here. So, here's a, this is around the same time period. You need to understand, my mom would have never let me join the army. I joined the army because <laughs> there was so much dysfunctionality going on at home. And I really had, I really didn't have a family structure and I really wanted it. So, I joined the army. So... Well, there was a big fallout between me and my mom. And, uh, I don't know, for some reason she got, she weaseled her way back into my life. I was trying to keep my, I try and keep my family out of my life because they're very toxic. Now, don't get me wrong, I love my family dearly, but they're very toxic. I care about them. But I stay away from them. I pray for them from a distance. Anyhow, um, there was a fight that broke out somewhere. And my mom didn't know I was in the army. I kept it extremely secret. So she goes, I think you should go down to North Carolina. You and I need a break. And I said, yes. Yes, we do. You and I do. So... <clears throat> I got approval from my recruiter and my CEO, so went down to uh, North Carolina. I uh, stayed in Manteo, North Carolina, and I worked in Wonk Cheese every day about 4.30 or 5.30 in the morning. I'd walk 20, excuse me, I'd walk 22 miles into Wonk Cheese. I worked on the fishing docks anywhere between 13 to 17 hours a day. I made 
good money back then. I made more money working on the docks than I did in the armed services. So, uh, most of the time I'd walk all the way back to Nantio. Well, my brother found a place in Wanchies. So, so I'd say about every fourth or fifth day, my brother would feel sorry for me. So he'd say, come on, stay at my apartment. So, and back then, good God, we were pounding liquor down. Him and I, he would have a 24-pack, and I'd have a 24-pack after a hard day's work. And we'd just chow down on seafood. And uh, I'm telling you right now, it's not easy work working on the docks. I'll tell you that right now. When I got there, I was probably, uh, I'd say, 255 pounds. By the end of the third month, I was 218 pounds, solid muscle. There was no ounce of fat on me. I had a real rough and tough six-pack. I was muscular because... You're throwing boxes around all day, and these boxes are weighing somewhere between 50, 60, sometimes 70 pounds. So you got to throw ice in the box, you put the fish in there, you throw ice on top. And these fish are loaded with water, so it makes them even more heavier. So you're putting about 25 pounds between 25 and 35 pounds of fish in a box, and then you throw ice on it. And then you got to take that box over to an area that needs to be stacked up. You do them six high. And then from there, you got to move them into a semi-truck. But then <clears throat> the conveyor belt doesn't go all the way in, so then you got to pick up that load and take it to the front of the truck but first, before you do that, you got to drag all these heavy pallets. So you're getting a workout. Nothing's wimpy there. So you put the pallet down, and then you put the, the boxes on them. You rotate your stock around so it's about 24 high. So you got probably about six to eight pallets on a semi-truck. And then from there, you got to move it. So that gives you an idea of an average day. <clears throat> now, mind you, I can tell you this because at the time I, I was under 18. And if you're under 18, you're still living at home, you're considered a dependent. That summer, me and my brother, we made close to $20,000 just in three months. But the fishing industry since the 80s has gone, and it's real rough and tumble. But back during the 80s, goddamn, that was a quick way to make good money. <laughs> Anyhow, here's the other part I wanted to share with you. Oh, and by the way, some people are going to know this story. That's when I broke my back in the Army. I'm not going to go into full detail. This guy didn't like me because I was from the north. And uh, 
decided to pick up my load and I said no and I snapped my back I actually slipped in a coma for eight hours I was blessed to have my brother down there because I don't know what these fisher these bad fishermen would have done to me but uh, the sheriff's department down there my brother took him three and a half hours to get me to come out of a coma and uh, then I had major back surgery once I got up to Michigan. So, yeah, that's how I injured my back. Anyhow, let me get to the good part here. So, mind you, I, I, I was staying in Mantiel. I was staying with Jim and Linda. I forget their last names. I stayed with them for like three months. Now, in the second month while I was staying with them, one night I walked 22 miles home. I was tired. Oh, guess what? I had good rent back then. Jim and Linda were really nice. I only paid $175 for a room per month. God, it was awesome. So, anyhow, <clears throat> yeah, that's cheap rent. Now, in Mantiel, you ain't going to pay that. It's going to be much, much higher than that. So, that night I came home. During the 80s, too, we were going through that heat wave where everything was in the south, the southwest was just getting heated. Average temperature was like 119 to 120. That's in the sun. I worked in the shade. Anyhow, <clears throat> so that night when I came home, I was so hot, and when I got inside, Linda offered me a daiquiri. I had never had a daiquiri, and she explained it to me. She goes, well, it's like a lemonade. I said, okay. I pound that down so quickly, I drank it all up in, in about a minute. It was about a liter. Well, maybe a half a liter. I just sucked it right down. <laughs> She said, slow down, there's alcohol in there. I said, okay, that's good. I worked hard. I need a muscle relaxer. I was in a lot of pain. Then she offered me a second one. I said, yes. We sat down. I noticed Jim was in a jam session with people. We all introduced ourselves to each other. And you won't believe who I was sitting next to. Because as soon as he played, my head snapped at him when they go, Hey, aren't you? He goes like this. Yes, I am Waylon Jennings. I said, Wow. I said, oh, It's an honor to meet you, sir. I said, I listened to some of your albums growing up. My uncle has some of them and some of my other family have them. He goes, Well, that's good, son. So guess what? I got to sit there while they made a live recording in Jim's front living room. And now in 1980 or 81, it got released. And then after they got doing the recording, I thought, so why, is it, why are you all here? And Whalen goes, oh, Jim here. He's my head recording engineer artist, or engineer, whatever they call him. Well, I've, I've done it before. Uh, Oh, that's the next thing I'm going to share on the next episode, though. I'll write that down. So, 
I was like, in awe. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, I have to step back. It's so weird. I have met so many unique people in my lifetime. And guess what? All this is happening because as a child, I've been manifesting in my brain that I want to get in the music industry. I want to get into acting. How do I do it? What do I need to do? I just keep manifesting it and I keep thinking about it as much as possible. And look at all these people that gravitate into my life. It's just phenomenal. Oh, and by the way, guys, why was there... Me and my brother used to go into the small little town where I used to live. We used to go into Manteo and eat at Hardy's. I don't know if it's still there. And then we'd go to the grocery store. And, uh, and one day we were in there. I saw Andy Griffith. I said, Brett, that's my brother's name. Dude, check it out. That's Andy. He goes, I'm going to go up and say hi to him. He's pulling him. No, 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 no. Don't do it. I said, oh, dude, I got to. I didn't get super close. I just got maybe like two feet away. And I go, hi, Andy. He turns and goes, oh, hi. He said hi to Brett, too. He goes, is it okay if I go back to my grocery shop? I said, sure, sir, sure. So he <laughs> did. Now, if you go down towards the highway, there's a secluded part. It's woods and bushes that intertwine with each other. Back there is hidden estates. We're talking about multi-million dollar estates. So me and my brother, we'd go over in that direction. We'd go down the road, and I saw a guard station. My brother saw it too, but we kept walking on the sidewalk, and there was a swing gate. Apparently, someone didn't secure it. We walk in, a private security force comes up on us along with the sheriff's department. They go, can we help you all? Well, we were just going to take a walk through and then walk home. I said, no, 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 no. This is a gated community. It's private property. And, and uh, I slipped that I wanted to see where Andy Griffiths live. He goes... You can't come in here unless you're invited by Andy or anybody else in the estate here. I said, you're kidding me. No. He goes, no, nah, I have to ask you two to leave. <laughs> so <laughs> we got escorted out of his neighborhood. <laughs> it was funny. Me and my brother, we, uh, we said, well, we tried to see where he lived. Because my brother had a disposable camera. <laughs> It was funny. Okay. Oh, now mind you, after all this, my brother went ahead because he had money. I fell short because of my back injury. So I had to work a little bit more. And then I had some people uh, set me up. They stole all my money out of my army duffel bag and I had $7,000 squirreled away because I wanted to have some extra cash and they were a bunch of alcoholics and 
ain't going to go into details because I was very upset. But they didn't get arrested because they couldn't prove the money was mine. Uh, if you're going to do something like that with cash, you take pictures of the money being hidden somewhere in your stuff. Because those alcoholics partied on my money. I heard they went through all my money within five days, $7,000. They were just drinking at motel. And anyhow, I was so upset. So I'm $5 in my pocket. I had three angels that directed me to go forward because I had so much anger I wanted to burn my French. Literally kill these guys for taking all that money because I worked hard for a whole week and they just took it like that. So the angels told me, Andrew, don't do it because if you do, you're going to get a life sentence in North Carolina. They'll put you in hard labor prison. So I didn't follow through. So I went forward on what the angels told me to do. I had $5 in my pocket. I had a broken back. I had a 100-pound backpack on my back, and I had a 175-pound duffel bag. And it took me two and a half weeks, and I hitchhiked. Met a lot of people. Along the way, Zig Ziglar picked me up, and I didn't know it was Zig Ziglar. He asked me, do you want to make a lot of money? And I said, sure. So I said to him, that's what I was saying, that uh, in reality, I was scared because I didn't know who this guy was. But he shared that experience so many times. Now, once again, I was not looking to be in this situation. And guess what? He shared this in a lot of his audio presentation that he picked up a gentleman. That was that gentleman was me. He asked me if I wanted to make a lot of money. And he talks about how he was trying to get me to open up. And in his lectures, he goes, I just couldn't understand why this guy didn't want to make money. He didn't know. That was the first time in my life that I was hitchhiking, injured, and I had... I was at the mercy of people because all I had was five bucks. I was injured, so Zig Ziglar, he's no longer with us. I wish he was. Uh, I wrote to him over the years. He just passed away about four years ago in Texas while I was living in Austin, Texas. Bless his heart. Well, anyhow, along the way, I met a lot of unique people. And the other person, I hope this guy's listening. And I'm going to say this just in case he is listening. Yes, I did want to get back to you, but my mother's a very protective person. She feels that people in life or every person in my life is going to take advantage of me. So on that note, what happened was at one point, my journey, I got picked up by an Exxon vice president. He told me he was one of four vice presidents of Exxon. And he goes, God, 
I'm glad I picked you up. I want to share my adventure with you. And I said, well, what's that? He goes, well, I come from the East Coast. I used to hitchhike. I think he set out to Berkeley because he's got some economic degrees and stuff like that. He goes, on a Friday night, I would hitchhike from Berkeley back to New York. And then when Sunday came, I'd get up early in the morning, hitchhike from New York back to Berkeley. And I said, oh, I thought that was cool. And I was shocked. He goes, are you low on cash? I said, to be truthful, yes, I am. I left North Carolina with with $5 in my pocket, and I've already spent 4 He goes, uh, hold on. So he reaches in to his uh, suit, and he, uh, hello, this is uh, James Lindgren, your host. This is still episode 8, continued, Monday, August 27, 2018. Yeah, we had technical difficulties. Someone accidentally pushed a button, so now I have to continue here. So, this executive oil uh, VIP person reaches into his breast pocket and he goes, here's 50 bucks. This will help you out. I'm like, holy cow. So, and then I still had an hour and a half drive on the road because he was helping me get to where I needed to go. And all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I was in front of a major, major deal. His secretary called, and that's when cell phones were just coming out. They were in vehicles. He goes, I'm going to put this on speakerphone. You've got to be quiet. I said, sure, I'll be quiet. So um, I was talking to his secretary, and then all of a sudden, they're on conference call, and uh, the people at the Exxon office in New York goes, okay, we're all on conference call. Now we're going to call Saudi Arabia. So they call Saudi Arabia. And guess what? I got to listen to the dicker and deal over oil barrel prices. I'm like, holy cow, I couldn't believe that. So, uh, as I continued my journey hitchhiking, I went through West Virginia. Uh, after he got me where I needed to go. And while I was walking down this long cornfield, I was in a lot of pain. And for some reason, God was helping me numb that pain. I come across this little party store. It's like a little general grocery store. And guess what? Lo and behold, I go in there. I get a, a Coca-Cola and I get a hamburger. I said, this place looks familiar. She goes, well, it ought to be, because last year I was in a Coca-Cola commercial. I said, you're kidding me. She goes, no. (laughs) And I told her about my story and how I was traveling like that. And guess what? She took a picture, Polaroid picture. She had like a a wall for pictures for people that passed through. And she stuck it on the wall. And I signed my name right below. It says, 
James Lieberger was here on this date. It was 2000, or excuse me, that was 1980. So that was cool. And then, I'm going to skip along here. And then, uh, I kept going. And then, this other part of uh, West Virginia, I'm not used to this. I tell you, the people in Virginia or West Virginia are the most hospitable people in the world. I love Virginians. You want to know why? This hippie family, okay, mind you. I met a lot of Virginians like them. Helped me out with pocket change when they saw me hitchhike. So that helped me get a bottle of water here, a Coca-Cola here, something to eat here. And then, this one guy goes, I saw that people were helping me out. He goes, man, you look exhausted. I was not expecting this. You don't do this in this day and age, but this was like the early 80s. They took me in for three days. They fed me. Uh, they let me take a shower. I caught up on my sleep. They grabbed all my clothes. They washed my clothes. They were really, really nice. And guess what? I, I didn't ask for it again. Talk about, here's what happens when you start following your true destiny in life. People help you out along the way. And you don't ask for it. Okay? Because I didn't ask for this. So when I left this family, I was refreshed and happy. And then I got stuck in a dead spot where someone dropped me off. And I was stuck there for three and a half hours before someone came through. And finally it was an old farmer man and his wife. And they said, well, before that, let me tell you what happened. I opened up my backpack the hippie family I forget their names God they were beautiful great people I wish we had a whole bunch of them here in the United States well anyhow I opened up my backpack to get water and guess what she did she rolled a $20 bill on the bottle with a rubber band I was like holy cow okay mind you now I'm going to get back to the the older farmer and his wife, he goes, I reckon you've been, you know, been here for a long time waiting for someone to, to pick you up. He goes, you're in a dead spot, and I'm going to do you a favor. He goes, where are you trying to head to? I said, up north. He goes, considering it's Sunday, me and my wife need a, a Sunday drive, so guess what? We're going to take you. Let's just... He picked me up, I think, about 1 or 1.30 on a Sunday. And they drove me for an hour and a half up to the next spot. And after that, I didn't have any problems. I picked up rides left and right. And then, by this time, I was like a day and a half out from Michigan. And I caught a truck driver, and he took me all the way into Detroit. And then from Detroit, I picked up another ride. And then, now this is Debbie, my next door neighbor that I was telling you about with GLA. And 
Apparently, Giovanni started seeing someone else prior to me coming home from working that summer. So, I come upstairs, coming in to see my mom, because I told her, I called her from Detroit, told her I was coming home to stay with her, because I needed to rest up. Good God, the women in East Lansing saw me so buffed up. I had women slapping me on the cheeks and pinching my stomach. And I wasn't expecting it. When I went up the stairs to my mom's apartment, Debbie Loose next door sees me. She runs out and she just jumps on me. And she goes, oh my God, you're a hot babe. And I said, yeah, but I'm hurt and I got a broken back. You need to get off of me, man. <laughs> that one's funny. So, oh God, so much has been going on in my life. It's, it's just like anybody else's life. I have a lot of roller coasters, I have a lot of ups and downs. I can share here because I had to had to start another recording of a continuation because someone accidentally hit the, the stop button on my recording. Oh, okay. Well, that's I guess that's it for the continuation here. Again. James Moonberger. Now, if you liked this or you enjoyed my podcast on Apple or Anchor or many of the other fine podcasts, just tap or click the subscription button to get notified when a new episodes are available so you won't miss a thing. Share the show with someone know about an episode you're enjoying. If you're on Apple, Tap share episode to share the episode. Or you can share the episode by using message with your friends. They can listen right in the conversation. Both of you can be on that messenger and click it and you can listen to to me and simulcast for both of you. Now remember you can leave me a voice message for suggestions, comments, or share an idea. And you can be interviewed by me during the podcast. Or you set it up, you can do the podcast interview before I do it. Well, you all have a great Monday. And I hope you all have a very fun, active, and productive week. Until next time, be good. Hang in there. Hello, this is uh, James Loomer, your host. This is still episode 8, continued, Monday, August 27, 2018. Yeah, we had technical difficulties. I wouldn't 
accidentally pushed a button. So now I have to continue here. So this executive oil uh, VIP person reaches into his breast pocket and he goes, here's 50 bucks. This will help you out. I'm like, holy cow. So, and then I still had an hour and a half drive on the road because he was helping me get to where I needed to go. And all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I was in front of a major, major deal. His secretary called, and that's when cell phones were just coming out. And they were in vehicles. He goes, I'm going to put this on speakerphone. You've got to be quiet. I said, sure, I'll be quiet. So um, he's talking to his secretary, and then all of a sudden, they're on conference call, and uh, the people at the Exxon office in New York goes, okay, we're all on conference call. Now we're going to call Saudi Arabia. So they call Saudi Arabia, and guess what? I got to listen to them dicker and deal over oil barrel prices. I'm like, holy cow, I couldn't believe that. <laughs> so uh, as I continued my journey hitchhiking, I went through West Virginia uh, after he got me where I needed to go. And while I was walking down this long cornfield, I was in a lot of pain. But for some reason, God was helping numb that pain. I come across this little party store. It's like a little general grocery store. And guess what? Lo and behold, I go in there, I get a, a Coca-Cola, and I get a hamburger. And I said, this place looks familiar. She goes, well, it ought to be, because last year I was in a Coca-Cola commercial. I said, you're kidding me. She goes, no. <laughs> and I told her about my story and how I was traveling like that. And guess what? She took a picture, a Polaroid picture. She had like a... Uh, a wall for pictures for people that pass through and she stuck it on the wall and I signed my name right below it says James Lindberger was here on this date it was 2000 or excuse me that was 1980 so that was cool and then I'm going to skip along here and then uh, I kept going and then this other part of uh, West Virginia, I'm not used to this. I'll tell you, the people in Virginia or West Virginia are the most hospitable people in the world. I love Virginians. You want to know why? This hippie family, okay, mind you. And I met a lot of Virginians like them. Helped me out with pocket change when they saw me hitchhike. So that helped me to get uh, a bottle of water here, a Coca-Cola here, or something to eat here. And then this one guy goes, I saw that people were helping you out. He goes, man, you look exhausted. I was not expecting this. You don't do this in this day and age, but this was like the early 80s. They took me in for three days. They fed me. Uh, they let me take a shower. 
I caught up on my sleep. They grabbed on my clothes to wash my clothes. They were really, really nice. And guess what? I, I didn't ask for it again. Talk about, here's what happens when you start following your true destiny in life. People help you out along the way, and you don't ask for it. Okay? Because I didn't ask for this. So when I left this family, I was refreshed and happy. And then I got stuck in a dead spot where someone dropped me off. And I was stuck there for three and a half hours before someone came through. And finally, it was a, a old farmer man and his wife. And they said, well, before that, let me tell you what happened. I opened up my backpack because the hippie family, I forget their names. God, they were beautiful, great people. I wish we had a whole bunch of them here in the United States. Well, anyhow, I opened up my backpack to get water, and guess what she did? She rolled a $20 bill on the bottle with a rubber band. I was like, holy cow. Okay, mind you. Now I'm going to get back to the the older farmer and his wife. He goes, I reckon you've been... You know, been here for a long time waiting for someone to, to pick you up. He goes, you're in a dead spot, but I'm going to do you a favor. He goes, where are you trying to head to? I said, up north. He goes, considering it's Sunday, me and my wife need a, a Sunday drive, so guess what? We're going to take you. This is, he picked me up, I think, about 1 or one thirty on a Sunday and they drove me for an hour and a half up to the next spot. And after that, I didn't have any problems. I picked up rides left and right. And then, by this time, I was like a day and a half out from Michigan. Then I caught a truck driver, and he took me all the way into Detroit. And then from Detroit, I picked up another ride. And then... Now, this is Debbie, my next-door neighbor that I was telling you about with Giovanni. And apparently Giovanni started seeing someone else prior to me coming home from working that summer. So I come upstairs coming in to see my mom because I told her, I called her from Detroit and told her I was coming home to stay with her because I needed to rest up. Good God, the women in East Lansing saw me so buffed up. I had women slapping me on the cheeks and pinching my stomach. And then I wasn't expecting it. When I went up the stairs to my mom's apartment, Debbie Luce next door sees me, she runs out, and she just jumps on me. She goes, oh my God, you're a hot babe, a hottie. And I said, yeah, but I'm hurting. I got a broken back. You need to get off of me, man. <laughs> she runs over me. <laughs> that was funny. So, oh man, so much has been going on in my life. It's it's just like anybody else's life. I have a lot of, 
roller coasters. I have a lot of ups and downs. Um, trying to think what else I can share here because I had to I had to start another recording of a continuization because someone accidentally hit the the stop button on my recording. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I guess that's it for the continuization here. Again, I'm your host, James Lewenberger. Now, if you like this or you enjoyed my podcast on Apple or Anchor or many of the other fine podcasts, just tap or click the subscription button to get notified when a new episodes are available so you won't miss a thing. Share the show. Let someone know about an episode you're enjoying. If you're on Apple, tap Share Episode to share the episode. Or you can share the episode by using Message with your friends. They can listen right in the conversation. Both of you can be on that Messenger and click it and you can listen to to me and simulcast for both of you. Now, remember, you can leave me a voice message for suggestions, comments, or share ideal. And you can be interviewed by me during the podcast, or if we set it up, we can do the podcast interview before I do it. Well, you all have a great Monday, and I hope you all have a very fun, active, and productive week. Until next time, be good. Hang in there. Welcome. Episode 8, Monday, August 27th, 2018. I am your host, James Lumberger. Of the James Louis show. Well, a lot has happened. Okay. Um, there's some there's some true stories I want to actually share with you guys too. Uh, I got friends in in Saginaw, Michigan, and East Lansing, Michigan, and some family members that can actually document some of the stuff I've been telling you. So. Let's see here. Trying to think here. Got that in there. Oh, my notes are confusing here. Okay. Oh, okay. Here we go. This is something I want to share with you. Some of you people know this because it's it's been on my Twitter account and it's I think I did a video on it, but the video got corrupted and I had to take it off. Well, check this out. When I was in second grade, um, I had a assistant teacher from Michigan State University. And uh, she was assigned to work with me. And one day we got to talk, and I think it was like after a month, month and a half... 
I was going through some difficulties. And anyhow, she started sharing about her family and her brothers. And then she, when she got towards the end of the conversation, she said, well, my brother's actually Clarence William III. He's on the Mott, Mott Squad. I said, oh, yeah, right. So she pulls out the family pictures from her wallet, and she shows me, and I'm like, oh, my God. You're a celebrity. She goes, I'm not me. He is. I said, what are you doing here? She goes, well, I wanted to come out here, take classes at, Mich excuse me, at Michigan State University. They got extension programs in my hometown, Saginaw Township, Michigan. And she was going through the teaching program. So I thought that was kind of neat. Um... I also have another unique story. I mean, this is unbelievable. Today's a really good day. I hope you all are having a great day today. It's Monday, and you know how it is for some people. They, they had a great weekend, and they're dragging like, oh, i got to go back to work or whatever. Well, that's life. We all have to do that. That's why I'm doing this. <laughs> Keeps me going. Okay. Now, here's another unique thing that happened to me. Oh, that reminds me. Let me share this one first. Uh, let me make a quick note right here. Um, I have several unique situations. <laughs> yeah, you all aren't going to believe this. Okay, so let's say this. I'll tell you this story first. This is a true story. These are all true stories. They're not made up. They're life events that have actually happened in my lifetime. Plus, when I was growing up in Saginaw Township, a lot of people thought it was Brandon Cruz who played Eddie Corbett from The Courtship of Eddie's Father. The people would come up and ask me for an autograph, and I'd say, it's not me. Or they'd ask for a picture, and they'd say, it's not me. So, you know, half the time, I would say, okay, give me your, uh, uh, your autograph uh, board or your autograph book, and I'd sign my name. As James Loonberger had scribbled it so they couldn't write it. <laughs> Shame on me. And uh, the other times, <clears throat> I would do pictures. Uh, I hope it doesn't come back on Brandon, because I could really pass for him. Him and I look identical twins. Recently, two days ago, I actually went on Google, and I Googled him. Do you know him and I? look so close in resemblance to each other <laughs> that when I, when I was growing up, uh, when, when I was in high school, was it high school? No, 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 no. It was in college. I was doing some research on acting back then, too, and some stuff in the entertainment industry. And this came up, the courtship of Eddie's father, so I said, you know what? People used to think I was him. So I saw Brandon Cruz. I, th 
I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. So I go to my mom. I said, Mom, is there any chance that I might be adopted? Or maybe I got switched at the hospital. She's like, why? I said, I printed off the picture. Look at this. Him and I are like twins. She's like, oh, my God, you two are. So, you know. <laughs> oh, wow. That's amazing, you know. And you know what? When I moved to Jacksonville, Florida for a while, excuse me, gotta yawn. I don't have uh, technicians to edit, so it's like live recordings. So when I was in Jacksonville, Florida, people used to come up to me again and ask for autographs and pictures. And... Uh, Again, a lot of people thought I was Brandon, even though I wasn't. So, Brandon, I hope you're doing good out there, dude. <laughs> I hope someday you and I can meet, because I think that would be cool. And I hear he offers acting classes, so if I can find out where he's at, because I live in the L.A. area now, because that would be cool. I would really love to connect up with him on that. Now, I got that one done. There's another story I want to share with you. Now, one of my best friends, I had like five, I don't know, wait, six of them or seven. David, I can't remember his last name, but I never knew that he was a Mormon until one day he goes, Hey, you want to come to my church? I'm like, okay, this is in Saginaw Township, Michigan. Okay. And it was during the holidays. So I got to the church. And he goes, I'd like you to introduce you to, to my aunt. No, I forget her real name. But I go, I was like speechless. Aren't you Alice? I'm the Brady Bunch? She goes, yes, I am. <laughs> I was like dumbfounded. And Dave's like punching me. He's like knocking off. So we talked for a little bit. I asked how it was acting on the Brady Bunch. Excuse me. She said, it's fun. Entertaining. She goes, there's a lot of takes and retakes. Because the director or the producer wanted to do stuff from different angles and they wanted to work in different stories. I'm like, holy cow. And after that, <laughs> I couldn't stop sharing that I, that I met her. And then David one day, he goes, I think after about a month or he goes, he's like, dude, you got to quit doing that. You're embarrassing me. I'm like, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> Oh, that's a true story. Okay, well, let's see. What else can I share with you guys? Oh, okay. Now, at this time, that I'm going to start sharing with you, it'd be in East Lansing, Michigan, after we moved there from Saginaw. And I was already going, excuse me? 
I was already going to uh, East Lansing High School. Um, I don't know how Giovanni and I met again. I think it was through an acquaintance. Oh, I remember. Yes, it was through an acquaintance that I knew someone from East Lansing High School. Now, Giovanni, he likes to go by the name James, like me. But, Giovanni, I do not know how to pronounce your last name, and I'm not even going to try. It's really hard to pronounce. But, he's the, he's the director of that uh, installation that's on Avatar. And we became really good friends <laughs> until we met my next-door neighbor, Debbie. Uh, and Debbie and Giovanni hit it off pretty good. Uh, Debbie and I, we had a click. We were trying to get a relationship going, but uh, she got drunk one night with Giovanni, and you know the rest is history. I do know that they had several kids because uh, Debbie got pregnant. Now, Debbie used to have the hots for me. Okay, um, I'll tell you another situation in a moment here. Now, uh, at that time, they were together, friends. All three of us used to hang out. We used to smoke a little pot, you know. We drank brew, brewskis, you know, and alcohol. We didn't get too out of control once in a while we would. We just got together and socialized and talked about life events. Uh, Giovanni told me that he had been out to New York and he was actually gravitating back towards California. I did not know that California is his home state. I didn't know that he grew up here in California. But for the last couple of years, I've been trying to get a hold of him. That he just won't, uh, he won't communicate. I twittered him, and then I tweeted openly that, uh, "Hey, dude, contact me." Just figuring that some of his friends or fans might know where he's at, but he's incognito. I know that Debbie and Giovanni. Uh, I think they got married before they went to California. But Debbie was moving out that way too because her ex-husband lived out that way. So, And Debbie told me that once they got out here, she was hoping I was going to come right away, but my family had other plans. They've been holding me down for years, doing all sorts of crap to undermine me and I don't even want to go in that direction. That is so negative and so toxic and so dramatized. But Debbie said, after high school, come on out. And uh, I tried for years. Recently, I just said, screw it. I'm coming out here. Well, in my family, they're a bunch of control freaks. You know, highly dysfunctional. And I don't want to get into all that. But uh, she, she gave me an open invitation out there. I never was able to get out there, but now I'm trying to find where she's at. I don't know what 
what she's up to. So, that takes us into next true story. Let's see here. So, here's a, this is around the same time period. You need to understand, my mom would have never let me join the army. I joined the army because <laughs> there was so much dysfunctionality going on at home. And I really had, I really didn't have a family structure and I really wanted it. So, I joined the army. So... Well, there was a big fallout between me and my mom, and uh, I don't know, for some reason she got, she weaseled her way back into my life, I was trying to keep my, I try and keep my family out of my life because they're very toxic, now don't get me wrong, I love my family dearly, but they're very toxic, I care about them. But I stay away from them. I pray for them from a distance. Anyhow, um, there was a fight that broke out somewhere. And my mom didn't know I was in the army. I kept it extremely secret. So she goes, I think you should go down to North Carolina. You and I need a break. And I said, yes. Yes, we do. You and I do. So... <clears throat> I got approval from my recruiter and my CEO, so went down to uh, North Carolina. I uh, stayed in Manteo, North Carolina, and I worked in one of cheese every day about 4.30 or 5.30 in the morning. I'd walk 20, excuse me, I'd walk 22 miles into one cheese. I worked on the fishing docks anywhere between 13 to 17 hours a day. I made good money back then. I made more money working on the docks than I did in the armed services. So uh, most of the time I'd walk all the way back to Mantio. Well, my brother found a place in Wanchies, so... So, I'd say about every fourth or fifth day, my brother would feel sorry for me. So, he'd say, come on, stay at my apartment. So, and back then, good God, we were pounding liquor down. Him and I, he would have a 24-pack, and I'd have a 24-pack after a hard day's work. And we'd just chow down on seafood. And uh, I'm telling you right now, it's not easy work working on the docks. I'll tell you that right now. When I got there, I was probably, uh, I'd say, 255 pounds. By the end of the third month, I was 218 pounds, solid muscle. There was no ounce of fat on me. I had a real rough and tough six-pack. I was muscular because you're throwing boxes around all day, and these boxes are weighing somewhere between 50, 60, sometimes 70 pounds. So you got to throw ice in the box. You put the fish in there. You throw ice on top. 
And these fish are loaded with water, so it makes them even more heavier. So you're putting about 25 pounds, between 25 and 35 pounds of fish in a box, and then you throw ice on it. And then you got to take that box over to an area that needs to be stacked up. You do them six high. And then from there, you got to move them into a semi-truck. But then, <clears throat> the conveyor belt doesn't go all the way in, so then you got to pick up that load and take it to the front of the truck. But first, before you do that, you got to drag all these heavy pallets. So you're getting a workout. Nothing's wimpy there. So you put the pallet down, and then you put the... The boxes on them. You rotate your stock around so it's about 24 high. So you got probably about six to eight pallets on a semi truck. And then from there, you got to move it. So that gives you an idea of an average day. <coughs> Now, mind you, I can tell you this, because at the time, uh, I was under 18. And if you're under 18, you're still living at home, you're considered a dependent. That summer, me and my brother, we made close to $20,000 just in three months. But the fishing industry since the 80s has gone, and it's real rough and tumble. Back during the 80s, god damn, that was a quick way to make good money. <laughs> Anyhow, here's the other part I wanted to share with you. Oh, and by the way, some people are going to know this story. That's when I broke my back in the Army. I'm not going to go into full detail. But this guy didn't like me because I was from the North. And... uh Decided to pick up my load, and I said no, and I snapped my back. I actually slipped in a coma for eight hours. I was blessed to have my brother down there, because I don't know what these fisher, these bad fishermen would have done to me. But uh, the sheriff's department down there, my brother, took him three and a half hours to get me to come out of a coma. And uh, then I had major back surgery once I got up to Michigan. So, yeah, that's how I injured my back. Anyhow, let me get to the good part here. So, mind you, I, I, I was staying in Manteo. I was staying with Jim and Linda. I forget their last names. I stayed with them for like three months. Now, in the second month while I was staying with them, one night... I walked 22 miles home. I was tired. Oh, guess what? I had good rent back then. Jim and Linda were really nice. I only paid $175 for a room per month. God, it was awesome. So anyhow, <clears throat> yeah, that's cheap rent. Now in Manteo, you ain't going to pay that. It's going to be much, much higher than that. So... That night I came home. During the 80s, too, we were going through that heat wave where everything was in the south. The southwest was just getting heated. 
average temperature was like 119 to 120. That's in the sun. I worked in the shade. Anyhow, <clears throat> so that night when I came home, I was so hot. And when I got inside, Linda offered me a daiquiri. I had never had a daiquiri, and she explained it to me. She goes, well, it's like a lemonade. I said, okay. I pound that down so quickly. I drank it all up in, in about a minute. It was about a liter. Well, maybe a half a liter. I just sucked it right down. She said, slow down. There's alcohol in there. I said, okay, that's good. I worked hard. I need a muscle relaxer. I was in a lot of pain. Then she offered me a second one. I said, yes. We sat down. I noticed Jim was in a jam session with people. We all introduced ourselves to each other. And you won't believe who I was sitting next to. Because as soon as he played, my head snapped at him. And I go, hey, aren't you? He goes like this. Yes, I am Waylon Jennings. I said, wow. I said, well, it's an honor to meet you, sir. I said, I listened to some of your albums growing up. My uncle has some of them and some of my other family have them. He goes, well, that's good, son. So guess what? I got to sit there while they made a live recording in Jim's front living room. And now in 1980 or 81, it got released. And then after they got doing the recording, I saw it. So why, is it, why are you all here? And Waylon goes, oh, Jim here. He's my head recording engineer artist or engineer, whatever they call him. Well, I've, I've done it before. Uh, oh, that's the next thing I'm going to share on the next episode, though. I'll write that down. So, I was like, in awe, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, I have to step back. It's so weird. I have met so many unique people in my lifetime. And guess what? All this is happening because as a child, I've been manifesting in my brain that I want to get in the music industry. I want to get into acting. How do I do it? What do I need to do? I just keep manifesting it. and I keep thinking about it as much as possible. And look at all these people that gravitate into my life. It's just phenomenal. Oh, and by the way, guys, while I was there, me and my brother used to go into the small little town where I used to live. We used to go into Manteo and eat at Hardy's. I don't know if it's still there. And then we'd go to the grocery store and... Uh, and one day we were in there. I saw Andy Griffith. I said, Brett, that's my brother's name. Dude, check it out. That's Andy. He goes, I'm going to go up and say hi to him. He's pulling him. No, 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 no. Don't do it. I said, oh, dude, I got to. I didn't get super close. I just got maybe like two feet away. And I go, hi, Andy. He turns and goes, oh, hi. He said hi to Brett, too. He goes, is it okay if I go back to my grocery shop? I said, sure, sir, sure. So he <laughs> did. 
Now, if you go down towards the highway, there's a secluded part. It's woods and bushes that intertwine with each other. Back there is hidden estates. We're talking about multi-million dollar estates. So, me and my brother, we go over in that direction. We go down the road, and I saw a guard station. My brother saw it too, but we kept walking on the sidewalk, and there was a swing gate. Apparently, someone didn't secure it. We walk in, a private security force comes up on us, along with the sheriff's department. They go, can we help you all? Well, we were just going to take a walk through and then walk home. I said, no, 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 no. This is a gated community. It's private property. And, and uh, I slipped that I wanted to see where Andy Griffiths live. He goes, you can't come in here unless you're invited by Andy or anybody else in the estate here. I said, you're kidding me. No. He goes, no, I have to ask you two to leave. <laughs> so <laughs> we got escorted out of his neighborhood. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> Me and my brother, we uh, we said, well, we tried to see where he lived. Because my brother had a disposable camera. <laughs> it was funny. Okay. Oh, now mind you, after all this... My brother went ahead because he had money. I fell short because of my back injury. So I had to work a little bit more. And then I had some people uh, set me up. They stole all my money out of my army duffel bag. And I had $7,000 squirreled away because I wanted to have some extra cash. And they were a bunch of alcoholics. And ain't going to go into details because I was very upset. But they didn't get arrested because they couldn't prove the money was mine. Uh, if you're going to do something like that with cash, you take pictures of the money being hidden somewhere in your stuff. Because those Alcoholics partied on my money. I heard they went through all my money within five days, $7,000. They were just drinking at motel. And anyhow, I was so upset. So on $5 in my pocket, I had three angels that directed me to go forward because I had so much anger. I wanted to burn my French literally kill these guys for taking all that money because I worked hard for a whole week and they just took it like that. So the angels told me, Andrew, don't do it because if you do, you're going to get a life sentence. In North Carolina, they'll put you in hard labor prison. So I didn't follow through. So I went forward on what the angels told me to do. I had $5 in my pocket. I had a broken back. I had a 100-pound backpack on my back, and I had a 175-pound duffel bag. And it took me two and a half weeks, and I hitchhiked. Met a lot of people. Along the way, 
Zig Ziglar picked me up, and I didn't know it was Zig Ziglar. He asked me, do you want to make a lot of money? And I said, sure. So I said to him, that's what I was saying, that uh, in reality, I was scared because I didn't know who this guy was. But he shared that experience so many times. Now, once again, I was not looking to be in this situation. And guess what? He shared this in a lot of his audio presentation that he picked up a gentleman. That was that gentleman was me. He asked me if I wanted to make a lot of money. And he talks about how he was trying to get me to open up. And in his lectures, he goes, I just couldn't understand why this guy didn't want to make money. He didn't know. That was the first time in my life that I was hitchhiking, injured, and I had... I was at the mercy of people because all I had was five bucks. I was injured, so Zig Ziglar, he's no longer with us. I wish he was. Uh, I wrote to him over the years. He just passed away about four years ago in Texas while I was living in Austin, Texas. Bless his heart. Well, anyhow, along the way, I met a lot of unique people. And the other person, I hope this guy's listening. And I'm going to say this just in case he is listening. Yes, I did want to get back to you, but my mother's a very protective person. She feels that people in life or every person in my life is going to take advantage of me. So on that note, what happened was at one point, of my journey, I got picked up by an Exxon vice president. He told me he was one of four vice presidents of Exxon. And he goes, God, I'm glad I picked you up. I want to share my adventure with you. And I said, well, what's that? He goes, well, I come from the East Coast. I used to hitchhike. I think he said out to Berkeley because he's got some economic degrees and stuff like that. He goes, on a Friday night, I would hitchhike from Berkeley back to New York. And then when Sunday came, I'd get up early in the morning, hitchhike from New York back to Berkeley. And I said, oh, I thought that was cool. And I was shocked. He goes, are you low on cash? I said, to be truthful, yes, I am. I left North Carolina with with five dollars in my pocket and I've already spent four he goes uh, hold on so he reaches in to his uh, suit and he uh, please welcome many of our new audience members we now broadcast live on Monday through Friday sometimes we have weekend editions. Sometimes we have nighttime editions. The James Louie Show is now live on Apple HomePod and is now live on Google Home whenever we broadcast on Anchor. I want to thank the listeners for supporting our podcast broadcast on Anchor, Google, and many fine other podcast platforms. That's what keeps our podcast on the air. 
is by supporters just like you because without your support we wouldn't be able to keep doing this podcast show so again please click the listener support button below now to keep us going and again thank you for your continued support and have an awesome day thank you